Amen. It's wonderful to gather and worship our God this morning, and especially to think about those marvelous truths about his character, why he's worthy of our worship, and especially even to think about the joy that we experience as Christians when we do stand before him and see him face to face. It's a, a privilege to be able to lift up our hearts. You know, and as uh, Pastor uh, Nitschke was praying, you know, we're continuing our series in Second Peter. And, uh, you know, the, the, this passage this morning especially has us thinking about, again, consequences. Consequences. And, and has there been a time in your life where you saw consequences, especially maybe of others or your own? And uh, by God's grace, it motivated you to choose a totally different alternative, a different choice the next time. If you have brothers and sisters, I think you know this lesson well. Uh, many times uh, we would jokingly, as brothers, often say, you're welcome, right, to the other brothers after we experience the consequences that we, uh, of choices that we made that all of us had thought was a good idea at the beginning. And uh, then as our parents brought discipline, uh, we learned otherwise. But there's other examples that many times we can point to in our lives, not just of examples in the home, learning from consequences in that way. Uh, sometimes it's not just by your experience, but just from seeing what is further down the road, uh, right, for someone else's choices in their life. Um, when I was younger, for example, I never smoked a cigarette, never had a desire to smoke a cigarette in my life, and it all came down to one video they had me watch in elementary school of this lady who gets on the screen who was older, and I just remember as a kid, this image seared in my mind. It was totally dark and black, and then there was this smoke that was on the screen, and this lady is there as she is smoking a cigarette through a hole in her mouth and her throat, and she's saying, don't smoke. And that's all the commercial was. And that was enough for me to say, I don't want to choose that opportunity or that option. Uh, But we can, again, think of more serious consequences than even that uh, and the spiritual consequences that can come uh, from false teaching. And that's really where God has us considering today in 2 Peter 2. That's on page 184. If you want to turn there, 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to see that from God's word this morning, the consequences that come from false teachers should make us want to embrace a totally different path, Uh, opportunity especially to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ and knowing him more. So turn with you, me in 2 Peter chapter 2, that's on page 184 in the New Testament under the Bible, under the chair in front of you. You know, our annual theme this year has been hope for everyday life. And we've been going, especially verse by verse, through the book of Second Peter, uh, focusing on growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And that comes from Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, which tells us, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so there's the, the positive implications, is to be growing in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. But the negative is also to avoid anything that's contrary to the teachings and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in chapter one, we saw a lot of the hope, right? God has given us everything, everything we need for life and godliness to grow, to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We have everything we need. And that comes by God's power and by God's righteousness through Jesus. And then we began to see also how does he grant us everything we need? Well, he's given us even precious promises to help us to grow. He's also given us his reliable and true word for us to focus on so that we can grow. And then we're to apply all diligence in our faith by remembering these things uh, in our faith so that we can uh, continue to grow. But then in chapter 2, we saw a a, a transition, a, a shift to remind us to be on guard, not just in diligently applying what is right, but also diligently being on guarding and avoiding what is wrong. That is false teaching. 
And so God's purpose is our growth to continue to grow. And so I want to pick up just reminding us where we started in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, you know, because this section is just continuing this longer argument that we saw in the beginning from the word of the Lord that says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And it goes on to say, well, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, and their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And so for three weeks now, we saw false teachers. It's like really bad. Last week we saw false teachers is like really bad. And guess what this week is? False teachers. It's like really bad, right? And we should avoid it, right? And so God is really ending this argument of why we should remember, please do not follow false teachers and listen to it. So picking up in verse 17 now, we'll, we'll continue with the word of the Lord. Follow along as I read. These, referring to the false teachers, are our springs without water and mist driven by a storm. For whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire." This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we're talking about the consequences for false teachers. And what I want to show, especially as we see these consequences, the sort of summary statements here in this section, is to contrast that with what we see is the other way that we saw in chapter 1 for First Peter, for Second Peter for believers. And so look at three reasons that the consequences for false teachers should cause us to want to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, for believers, we have the hope, as chapter 1 reminded us, that we can be rewarded. There is sure reward, but also there's this reminder we see for the false teachers. They are going to be revealed, and they are going to be punished. And so you can either choose. You choose the route that is going to be revealed in time to be wicked, and God is going to punish, or am I going to choose the path that leads to life and to righteousness and to ultimate reward? And God uses two images at first, to describe the false teaching, to impress upon our hearts the impact that false teachers have on our lives spiritually. Think about some of these consequences. He says they're, they give basically empty, unrefreshing promises. They're full of empty promises. That's what these two images really are illustrating for us. Do you believe that false teachers give you empty promises? They're kind of like the hustler on the street who you think is trying to help you, but at the same time, they're taking your wallet and taking advantage of you. They're, they're like that mirage in the desert, right, where you think in the distance there's paradise, there's going to be water, and then in a moment, it sort of vanishes, and there's actually nothing there. 
That's what he describes them. They're springs without water, mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. The point is false teachers do not provide what seems like they promise. They're springs without water. And so in the dry Mediterranean climate, you would think you would often go long distances through dry environments, but you had the hope that there would be springs along the way in which you could refresh yourself. And how disappointed would you be if somebody told you, right, oh yeah, there's a, there's a spring here, there's a well here, and then you finally get there after traveling miles and miles to find there's just an empty hole in the ground, or there's just a dry creek bed. You know, in Death Valley, California, near where I grew up, they have an ultra marathon called Badwater 135. You run a 135-mile marathon through one of the hottest places on the earth, and you pay 1600 bucks for that. And you just think about, imagine how disappointing it would be. You know, bad water's bad, but you know what's worse than bad water? No water, right? And so imagine these people paying $1,600, and they're thinking they're running through the desert, and along the way they're going to have the people there to refresh them, and they can have water to fill up their canisters on their marathon thing, and then there's actually no water provided for them, and they're just left there, Right? That's bad physically, from a, but think how much worse it is for spiritually. God is saying what false teachers promise is absolutely nothing for your spiritual well-being. And, and far worse than just being really thirsty physically, for eternity there's going to be consequences from not following the true way of the Lord. And so think about, again, they're also like mist driven by a storm, he says. Some of you are, are farmers And if your crops are really dry, just imagine if the weatherman is telling you there's going to be huge storm clouds, and then you you look out and you see what look like these massive thunderclouds are going to be rain, and then all of a sudden, it's just like mist that goes away. And it actually is a sign that hotter weather is coming. That's what he's describing. The the appearance, these clouds, like they're going to bring life-giving rain, and yet they're actually a sign of drier weather that's coming. And so again, they don't deliver on what they promise. Contrast the false teacher's promise to what God grants us. Look at chapter 1, remember this? For by these he, God, has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Magnificent promises, precious promises. You can be a partaker of of godliness and where true life is found. You can begin to share and grow in understanding what the Lord is like. And so you have to ask the question, do you want the parched promises or or do you want precious ones? Do you want misty promises or do you want magnificent ones? Don't miss the important implication here for how we think about spiritual growth. It happens through remembering, again, God's precious and amazing promises and trusting and acting in faith on these in my life. But the implication of all of this is God is assuming, why is he granting these promises? Why is he granting us these things? Is he knows that we're going to be spiritually needy for these things. He knows our thirst. He knows how our hearts and desires long for satisfaction, long for spiritual refreshment. And God knows the various trials that each of you are going through, the difficult terrain that you handle each day of your life. And God knows that you have to depend on him. You're going to have to turn to him for refreshment. You're going to turn to something. And God is saying, I've granted you what is sure, what is true, what is satisfying, what is life-giving. 
And this is what you need to continue to spiritually grow through these trials in order to face them. And so for those parents who are in the room, when you are drained, where do you turn to for refreshment? Where do you look to for wisdom to navigate the trial when you feel like you have nothing else to give in the tank? It's in those moments, right? Are you going to choose the misty promises? Or are you going to look to what's magnificent? Will you turn to the Lord in prayer? Will you remember and trust and obey the word of God, knowing he will provide you what you need to please him? Maybe right now you're worried about your financial situation, whether you're going to be able to find a job or to be cared for with rising costs and inflation. And again, in that moment when you begin to become overly concerned, what wisdom do you use to refresh your heart? Where do you turn? The sure words and promise of God or parched words from false teachers? See, we're all tempted to turn not to the Lord first, but to people first, or to depend on ourselves and our own wisdom first. And when we do, God says he reminds us like this, his people through the prophet Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's what false teachers do. Right? They provide something that has no satisfaction and ultimate life to it. And so this is a spiritual checkup on that diligence aspect. How are you doing in applying diligently and supplying what's needed in your faith to grow spiritually? Since starting Second Peter, are there certain promises that you have been turning to more in your life because of what you have been learning in God's Word? Right? And so there's the moments of temptation. Are there specific promises that are now more precious to you? For example, it might be remembering, right? God is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, like Jude says. Or Hebrews 13, 5, 6, he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Right? There may be people you're afraid of in your life to confront or, or people that you're trying to avoid because you care so much about what they think or what they say. And in those moments, is that promise more precious to you that you're acting and believing on it? Then notice, after revealing the impact of the false teachers for the promises on the lives of others, God reveals their punishment that false teachers will be judged just as the angels were. We saw the same justice revealed earlier in Second Peter verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, here we see the false teachers, they get the same end, the same punishment. This is very similar to what we also see in Jude. There are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds. Again, that imagery again. Swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up on the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And it's a really bleak picture for the end, right? And God wants us to know that end so we're not surprised and so that we avoid that end and where it leads. 
And you picture again the fruit of false teachers. Their words are they're empty. Their words are not life-giving. In contrast, Jesus saves us for the purpose that our speech would reflect his life-giving speech, that our words would be an encouragement and a blessing, right? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who eat it will eat its fruits. And so believers, we are saved for the purpose that our speech would be characterized by truth. And followers of Christ then want to walk in the truth and enjoy the blessing and the reward of godly speech. You want to speak life. You want to speak truth. You want to speak the word of God to others to build others up instead of tear them down and leave them not refreshed. And so to ask yourself this week, what does your speech look like? What does your speech reveal? Is your speech revealing the truths and the promises and the delights of what God says are good? Or is my speech really characterized by things that I'm putting in and things that I'm dwelling on that were contrary to the way of truth? See, as Christians, Jesus empowers you to be a vessel so you can be like, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That your lips can be like a wise fountain of life. I hope that's what you want it to be that one may turn away from the snares of death. And so that your words would be doing that in the lives of other people, just like God's word is turning us away from the way of destruction through false teaching. God is wanting us to say, well, our words should characterize the same way for the lives of other people as well, turning them away from the snares of death. Proverbs 8 goes on to say, the words of a man's mouth are like deep waters, the fountain of wisdom. It's a bubbling brook. And I hope that you'd say, that's how I want my speech to be characterized in the lives of those around me. And false teachers, it ain't no bubbling brook. It's a dried out brook. Like our Savior, we want our words also to turn other ways from the death traps. And followers of Christ look forward then also to the heavenly rewards. So here you have this utter darkness and gloom, which is reserved for black darkness, which means uh, hell. It's another language for hell, where there is eternal punishment. We could not see a sharper contrast for what happens to false teachers versus for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in 1 Peter what God said earlier this year? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. So God wants us to have assurance of eternity, assurance of everlasting joy and reward in His presence. And it's reserved in heaven for you. It's sure And for false teachers, God says what is sure is what's reserved for them is black darkness. Can you imagine that compared to seeing the glory of Jesus Christ face to face in which there is no need of sun? I mean, that's how radiant his presence is going to be. Which similar also reminds us of what Peter said in the first chapter, that our our calling, our election, entails entrance entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and that's abundantly supplied to you. And so are the daily choices that you're making showing that your faith, you believe that God is a rewarder? Do do my choices show that? That I really believe that God is a rewarder for those who seek him, for those who turn to him? Or do my choices really reveal I think God is like a punisher for those who seek him and draw near to him? Hebrews eleven six faith without faith is impossible to please God 
It's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, so God exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so God is really contrasting the way of those who don't seek him to the beauty of those who do. Look at his generosity and how he cares for his people and supplies them abundantly. Then consider just even these false teachers and how they're contrasted with Christ. So again, the false teachers, God's word and wisdom, and regularly in the Bible, it's described using the language of water, meaning it's the source of life. Unlike false teachers whose teaching or promises are empty of life, the true teacher, the perfect prophet, Jesus Christ, the word of God promises, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Meaning Jesus' followers who are growing and knowing and believing Jesus, they're going, where else can we go? Right? You have the words of eternal life. See, the promised rivers of living water here is the Holy Spirit. The eternal and life-giving God dwelling in you, regenerating you, making you new to grow and bear much fruit for His glory. And when you and I see the fruitless and destructive path of false teaching, you say, I especially want to turn to the Lord and to His Word. I want to be fruitful for His glory. I don't want to be fruitless. But it all comes down to, again, where is the source of life and water to bear fruit for God's glory? It only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of God at work in us. Second, we should see that as Christians, as you see the path of false teachers, how they're enslaved by their own desires, you should say, I want to be a servant of righteousness. If you're growing in the knowledge and grace of Jesus, you're saying, I want to be a servant of righteousness. Because false teachers, they're enslaved by their own desires. right? And so Peter further unpacks what the false teachers have and what characterizes them. They're, they're marked by arrogance. They're marked by sensuality. In their arrogance and sensuality, right, which we saw was characterized in Second Peter, they entice, they lead new believers astray. How? Well, they overpromise with proud, empty promises, with worthless words. They lure new converts, it says, by their lusts, meaning they prey upon the desires, the fleshly desires of their heart. You see this in verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice. By fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who are barely escape from the ones who live in error. So consider the rhetoric, the language that our world puts to all kinds of false teaching and sinful behaviors to trap people, right? It preys upon what often people desire. So think about the desire for lust and approval. Many of us have that desire, right? Many people say, I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. And false teachers will target that desire that is common to so many of us and then distort it and to think, well, here's what I say and promise. This is how, if you do this, this is how you'll be loved. This is how you'll be accepted. This is how you're going to be, right? And so maybe it's identifying this way and do whatever I tell you and then you're going to get loved. Or they play to the desire for comfort and ease that many of us have. I want comfort. I want ease. I want peace. And so they say things like this. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll make you a millionaire. Aren't you tired of like working like 40 hours a week? Wouldn't you rather work like one hour a week and make $5,000 a day? And everyone's going, sign me up. 
that it's preying upon, right? The desire for comfort and ease, contrary to what God's Word says about He created us for work, to be workers of good, to work hard unto the Lord, and reminding that God has cursed our work, right? And frustrated it because of sin, and so times it's going to be hard. And here they're promising that it's never going to be hard if you follow me. Again, in contrast to false teachers, as believers, genuine followers are marked with humility. We're not enslaved by arrogance and pride and marked by that. Instead, we're marked with humility. Like 1 Peter 5, 6, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, waiting for God to exalt us. We're not trying to exalt ourselves. We're following in the footsteps of our Savior, doing nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Or false teachers regard themselves as most important. They're using others for their own advantage. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but for the interests of others. And having this attitude, which was in Christ Jesus, right? He humbled himself to the point of death, being uh, to the point of death on a cross. And so we want to model the same type of mindset as Christians, contrary to false teachers. Because Peter reminds us the qualities like moral excellence, godliness, self-control that we saw in for chapter 1, verse 8, those qualities are very contrary to arrogance and sensuality. And this is what should mark the Christian life. Then Peter continues to explain how false teachers lure young believers away by the promise of freedom. But it's a false freedom. They promise freedom, but it's a false freedom. There are many people who give ultimate promises of freedom that they believe is found in the world apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And such promises are empty. They're empty promises. You and I can be tempted to think all kinds of false teaching about where freedom ultimately is found. And we can think, oh, the false teaching, it's just out there. Those false teachers, they're out there. No, but the humbling reality is for all of our lives, this is what once characterized our lives as well. And to have the humility to think about, in what ways have I been tempted to believe in false teaching in my own life for how I thought to grow and change to become more like Jesus? What did this look like in my life before believing in Jesus Christ? What did this false promise of freedom look like? It sounded like this in my own mind. Aaron, true freedom is something you can achieve on your own. And so when I lived in selfish ways and I began to experience the consequences of my evil actions and conduct, I would have this load of guilt upon my conscience. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I saw it and how it affected the lives of people. But like these false teachers, what did I do? I made these proud promises to myself. I would vow to myself and tell myself this, you won't do that, you can be free on your own. I would make a vow and then I would promise and I would break it. I would vow and I'd break it. I'd promise myself again and I'd break it. I'd promise myself again and I'd break it. And I keep going back and forth. And what's happening? I'm turning to a false promise. Can I break sin on my own? Can I conquer sin on my own? Can I overcome sin on my own? Am I faithful on my own? No, I believe falsely that I could live good enough on my own and I was embracing a lie. And Jesus says, right, we need to instead turn to him to rescue us from sin. And I was deceived myself to think that I can be good. I can be good without Christ. But I was unwilling to trust Jesus to save me, to forgive me, even though God commanded me to trust and believe in him. And, but we see other false promises all over the place, right? True freedom from judgment, 
Follow this false teaching and you won't feel so guilty. Right? You'll be free from feeling judged. True freedom to rest. Just another vacation. True freedom from pain. It's this medication. It's this diet. True ultimate freedom from aging and dying. It's this beauty product. True freedom from loneliness. It's this dating match app that'll find the perfect spouse for you. True freedom from injustice, right? This presidential candidate, right? There's all kinds of these empty promises that God is saying the ultimate fulfillment of freedom and where it's found is only through Christ. And so if something is promising you ultimate freedom other than Jesus, you know it's false. And that's what he says, promising freedom when they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. The irony is those promising the freedom apart from Jesus think that they are powerfully free to do whatever they please, but in fact, they're under the power of sin. They're slaves of their own desires and corruption. They think that they will not be destroyed. They think that it's not going to impact them. But in reality, this is the very reason that leads to their death. A similar point is made for the Christian in, in Rome. God wants us to understand our freedom that we come in Jesus. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, Here's what Christ can do. True freedom. You become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And so you're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness. You either serve false teaching and false ways or you serve Christ, the true and the living way. And when you understand that growing and follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to deny yourself and enjoy true freedom where false teachers don't deny themselves and they're slaves of sin, true Christians deny themselves and enjoy true freedom. And, and so don't be thinking, I can try to run away from God if He's not present and does not see my need for Him. Jesus commands us to trust Him and promises true freedom for those who do. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. For if you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom in an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so thinking about the opportunity that you have to demonstrate diligence and growth in your spiritual life this week is you're going to have lots of opportunities to show your freedom, freedom to choose all kinds of things, to say no to sin and to say yes to loving God and serving one another out of love this week. And are you excited to demonstrate your love and the freedom that you have for what Christ has done in your life by saying no and saying yes to please Christ because you're not a slave to sin anymore if you're a follower of Jesus. And Jesus makes this point that we must deny himself. We must take up our cross and follow him if we're a true disciple. And so now as a Christian, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, I look, I result at the, the sanctification, the life that's to come, and that helps me to say, I don't want to ever go back to that old path. And so one of the indicators of spiritual growth in your life is how you use your freedom and how are you doing in that area. When you encounter temptations and trials of various kinds, are you choosing to please the Lord and present yourself to your new master, Jesus? Or are you presenting yourself to the old master? For Christians, we often think like we're, we're not set free when we see indwelling sin. 
we think we're still enslaved. It's sort of like the, the purpose who gets, person who gets out of the jail and the jail doors open and yet they willingly go back into the jail and pretend and say like as if they're locked in there and they can't get out. It's simply not true. If you're a believer in Christ, Christ has set you free from the power of sin and death. Therefore, it doesn't have to reign. It doesn't have to dominate. It doesn't have to control your life. You can say no by the power of the grace of God and choose to please the Lord instead. One of the earliest Baptist um, founders of the Baptist Missionary Society, Andrew Fuller, when he would began to wrestle with indwelling sin and he begins to see this choice of whether or not he's going to present himself to Jesus as his new master or present himself to his old master, he remembers this poem that uh, another minister had written. And it goes like this. Shall I be a slave to sin, my Lord's most bloody foe? I feel its powerful sway within. How long shall it be so? But say if all the gusts and grains of love be spent, and if I were to say farewell, Christ, and welcome lust, stop, stop, I melt, I faint. I think that's the response of a Christian. The thought of giving up Christ to welcome lust and continue in that path, you, you just revolt at that thought that you're going to give up that to live in sin. And instead, we want to consider the will of Christ in contrast to false teachers. Jesus says, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Where false teachers are always doing what's pleasing to themselves for their own interests. False teachers say your will, your heart, your desires are most important. False teachers will not call you to deny yourself, but to indulge yourself. Because that's what they are doing. And Jesus is said as saying, no, you have the greater joy of submitting your will to God's will, like me. And we want to follow in our Savior's example. Finally, false teachers return to what is worthless. False teachers return to what is worthless. But you, believer, you can continue to pursue what is good. You can return to God instead, to what is the true source of satisfaction. See, false teachers can seem very confident, very secure, but they're actually in a very dangerous position because they're in a worse state than before. We see this in 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. For if they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. This is a challenging passage because it, it uses words and phrases that sound at first like these false teachers are doing what's good. Right? And it goes back to the reality that false prophets right, are rising from within the church and the false teachers are coming from within the church. We saw that in the beginning of chapter 2. And so it's evident they have some level of knowledge and understanding about the truth of God's word, about Jesus. So they they know the facts about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but they don't actually have true saving knowledge. See, the text says they've escaped the defilements of the world, and I believe that it's in the sense that they are now associating with the church, and so they've sort of found refuge for a time in the Christian community, contrast to the defilements of what's going on in the world. And yet, what does it say? Is they, they go back, right, and get entangled in them. 
right? It's saying that they see the way of escape. They found a level of refuge from the world. They have a true knowledge. They have a knowledge of the Lord in the sense that they know he is the Lord, but he is not personally their Lord, and they believe and trust in him. And the text says they're in a worse state than before. So if you go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, you see the precious promises of God and believing and the knowledge of the truth in Jesus sets us free from the corrupting influence, and we escape. And he uses that same language, escaping the defilements. And here we see it seems like the false teachers are escaping, but in actuality, they're not. And so it's sort of like the old adage that knowledge puffs up. And so these false teachers have knowledge There's a lot of people that I have met who have gotten Bible educations who are to their very core of their heart against Jesus, and yet they have a PhD in studying the Bible that characterizes what is a false teacher. They can talk about Jesus, and yet they manipulate and use Jesus and his word to live contrary to what Jesus and his word commands. And it's a scary warning. The text would say it would better for them not to have learned the way of righteousness because now they they stand more condemned. They have more knowledge. It's not like they can't say, I didn't know. They do know, and they now willfully reject it and choose to not follow the way of righteousness. They're in a worse state. It's kind of like a, a person who's been trapped in a series of caves I remember going spelunking one time and having somebody drop a ladder down to us to help us sort of get out of this pit that we're in. But, but imagine if, right, the only way is that ladder. And you drop the ladder to them and say, don't you have the knowledge? They see, they know there's a ladder. They've even touched the ladder, right? They see it there. And it's like, imagine then they go grab that ladder for, and try to use that ladder then to get out in their own way. And then they jump to the cliff and they just slide down and fall and break both their legs. They're in a worse state than they were before, right? Even knowing that the ladder was there, they had the way of escape, they knew the way out, and yet they're familiar with it, but then they use the way out actually to go a different way, and they reject it and instead try to go a different path, and they fall down. And, And so it's this imagery. Again, they're in a worse state. They're being handed a holy commandment, something that is good associated with the faith and trust in Jesus who is holy, and they're saying, no thanks. I would rather have something else. And that's where the illustration, the dogs and the pigs, drives this point home. It's like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And we all stray from the Lord. We all are like sheep. God's people struggle with sin. But we return to the Lord when we do. We respond in humility when confronted. We return to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls because we believe he is the only way. And we turn back to the Lord where the people, like false teachers, are admonished and warned and they turn, again, away from the Lord and to further unrighteousness. It reminds us what Matthew says. Do not give what dogs, to give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The idea is that dogs' nature is revealed. When they return to something a human would say is really worthless, like vomit. The contrast with the animals is again is on display. We saw this last week. Those who don't follow the Lord, they, they lead others and they function like animals, like men without chests to govern their desires in a biblical Christ centered way. 
And so a false teacher again is offered true freedom and they instead want instead to go back to living in the old way. What might this look like even for us among the church? Right? Well, there's a lot of people who can come to a church, come to a Christian community. They have a desire like, I'm lonely. And they use the desire, right? They use the word of God, the community of God, really as a means just ultimately to achieve their greatest goal in life, which is not to be lonely. And yet they, the moment that God's word and Jesus live in such, calls them to live in such a way, may they actually experience still consequences of loneliness, they're immediately going to turn to something else that they feel will not make them feel so lonely. At the end of the day, what they care about most is not Christ and following his way. What they care about most is their own desire. And same thing is people can associate with Christian community because they just want to advance in their job and make networking connections with other people. And that's really what their primary goal is when they gather with people is they see people as just another way to get my end goal and my end desire. And again, it's a warning is just because you associate with the Christian community doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually one who is following the way of righteousness. And so to ask why do I come to church? Is it to worship and know my God and Savior and to submit to living to His commands? Or is it something else that I care more about? The way of righteousness through knowing Jesus Christ, we see, though, is of supreme value in contrast to the way of the wicked. Over and over, we see Christ is worth it, like Philippians 3, 7 through 8. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And again, think of those promises that of grace and peace being multiplied to you in true knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Glory, excellency, that's what comes from God, not from anything else apart from God. We saw this last. How do we escape the corruption that's in the world? By the amazing word and precious promises of God through the knowledge of Jesus. And so God wants us to partake of his very nature. He's not stingy. No false teacher has that sort of concern for us. The consequences of false teachers are grave, but the goodness of the Lord that's stored up for his people, that's so much better. And I hope after going through chapter two, you're just seeing the beauty of God's ways and the beauty of what he offers us as believers is so much better than false promises. It's like the psalmist says, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sun's of men. So I hope you're seeing false teachers are revealed. They will be punished. But praise God that as a believer, if you're turning to the Lord and growing your wisdom and knowledge of Christ, you know you have sure hope that what's reserved for you is reward. Also, false teachers are enslaved by their own desires. But praise the Lord that this week you can be a servant of righteousness. And instead of being an instrument of destruction in the lives of people, your words and your life can be an instrument that gives life to others begin to know Jesus. And finally, this week, even as you struggle with indwelling sin, do you see yourself returning quickly to the Lord, believing he is what's of supreme value, and turning away from the patterns of life and for which you were saved in your life? And if you see those things in your life, 
God is encouraging you. You're growing in the truth and knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ. You're going to be bearing more and more fruit in your life for the love and the blessing of other people as well to the glory of our great God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you so much for your word, for the life-giving word. We thank you, God, that you are God who loves us even by warning us. Lord, because you really have our best interests at heart, our spiritual well-being for eternity. Lord, and I pray that today as your word goes forth, it would impact each of our hearts in the way that you would help see best for us to grow in knowing Jesus Christ and living in a way that pleases him. For some today, maybe what your word revealed to them is they have been living just for their own desires. That's been their goal. What pleases them, not what pleases Jesus. And I pray today would be the day that they would turn away from that path. Lord, that they would instead believe and trust in Jesus who suffered and died on the cross for their sins so that they can be forgiven and they could have the hope of the assurance of new life and forgiveness if they were to trust in Jesus today. And for us as believers, I pray it's helping us especially to think about the precious promises that you give us, the life-giving path that you lay before our feet, the same path that our Savior Jesus went down who's now exalted and reigning, and to think that we get to partake and share of that glory by his grace is incredible. And so, Father, I pray this week as we're encountering in temptation, as we encounter false teaching, maybe even false thoughts in our own minds that we're tempted to believe, in those moments we would remember your word and the truths of your word and choose to live and obey even when it's hard. Father, I pray too that there would be greater vigilance in our heart and life to the teachers that we listen to. And Father, I pray that this week it would show that we really want to return and desire to hear more of your word that's life-giving. Father, we pray that you'd use this word to help us to apply it, not to just be hearers of this word and deceive ourselves, but to be doers of it this week. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.